Are you willing to do it? Are you willing to spend the time and the energy and, and, you know, dig in for, for two, three, four, five, six, seven years to hopefully see something on the other side. I turned 50 y'all and I started a podcast. Really age is just a number. It comes down to how we choose to live and the choices we make in our life and those things accumulate. Don't let the programming of life keep you from doing things every single day that, that make you happy. When we feel good, it's easy to think good. Life is not happening to you. You are your life. You are happening to your life. Hello, and welcome to the podcast. This episode is the third in a series that I'm doing on business and entrepreneurship. Uh, The first episode was a description of how I learned everything I knew, everything I've come to know about business when I first got started from my dad and working in the surgery center development company. And the second episode was me taking off on my own and starting my own business in Arizona and the pitfalls of that and how that was my epic business failure (laughs) and how I learned everything I know about what not to do from that experience. And this episode, I want to take you through um, how to assess the risk of a business plan or a business idea that you might have. And I developed about five or six years ago, I developed something called a business risk questionnaire. And this is a tool that you can basically hold up any business model or any business idea to and go through and answer these questions. And it will give you a value at the end of it. Um, of risk. So if it's really, really low risk, if it's moderate risk, if it's high risk, and you can see the different reasons why it would have a high, a medium, or a low risk. And that's something, you know, you can consider. It's just a, it's just a, a template that hits a lot of the bases, a lot of the issues that come up in different business plans that I've learned over the years. And I use this with friends and, 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 and acquaintances, people will come to me and with their business ideas. And, um, instead of just kind of spitballing it off the top of my head, I love to refer back to this questionnaire, um, that I developed. Um, so we're going to use a real world case scenario, um, as I go through this list and, Um, the business I want to use is one of the businesses, successful businesses that I have that I'm, I'm an owner in. It's a yoga studio in Reno, Nevada. It's called yoga pod Reno. And this business, we're in the sixth year of business. Um, proud to say. And, um, so yeah, I'm just going to take you through this business model and the questionnaire and, um, we can talk about all the individual items on this list as we go through it. So when you're first looking at a business plan, so this might be something that you're, you're creating yourself, you're writing your own business plan because you have a business idea, or maybe you're looking at a franchise. So you're looking to franchise like a McDonald's or, you know, there's a million different franchises and we can talk about the the pros and, and cons of that. Um, but you can use this 
any on any kind of um, business idea that either you have or you have an existing plan that you want to kind of put up against this questionnaire. So the very first question is, are you going to be selling a product or a service? Now, in this particular case, in the, and we're going to use the yoga studio, if I want to open up a yoga studio, will I be selling a product or a service? In this particular case, it would be definitely a service as a yoga studio. So the next thing is, the next question would be, is it an existing service category or a novel service category? So do yoga studios already exist? It's an existing service category. Yes, it's an existing service category. There's already yoga studios. Um, an example of a novel service category would be maybe something like, um, I want to open up a, um, you know, <laughs> I don't know, a painting grass business, or I want to create a, um, you know, I mean, there's so many, most businesses have already been done. So just to answer the, you know, the answer to the question is yes or no. Does this business already exist in the world? Has somebody already done this? The answer in this particular case, yoga studio. Yes. It's an existing category. Then if it's an existing category, you say, well, who is your competition? So this is part of what you're going to have to answer in a business plan is your competition. So as I, as we were looking at, um, opening up this yoga studio in Reno, Nevada, who is the competition? So you immediately just research, you know, you can look on Google, you can look on, on any kind of search engine, you can drive around the town, you can ask friends, neighbors, and you determine where is yoga offered in my community and how, and, and how many places offer it. What types of yoga do they offer? How far is it from my, you know, where I think I want to put my business, the, the distance, or is there a place in the city that I live in where I think that there's, there is a lack of this service, right? You could use an example of a gas station. I want to open a gas station. Yes. Is it an, is it an existing service category? Of course, there's a million gas stations. Well, then you say, okay, who's your competition? And then you look around the city and you say, oh, there's all these different gas stations. This is what they offer. This is what they have. But there's no gas station in my neighborhood. So you do the same thing with any business. So in this case, the yoga studio, you would say, who's your competition? Where are they at? What do they offer? And is there a location where, there, where I could fill a need that's not being filled? Now, in the case of our yoga studio, um, I at the time lived in South, the very South end of Reno. And, um, there was, it was this, a suburban area, a lot of communities out there, residential communities. And there was, um, a big mall and there was a big, um, grocery store, but indeed there was really no yoga studio. And, and, you know, I, I knew this simply because I loved yoga and, when I was looking to find out where, where it was the most convenient place for me to do yoga, I had to drive quite a distance. So I knew right from the, the get-go when I was developing this business plan or when I was evaluating this business plan, there's a need, in my opinion, there's a need for a yoga studio in this particular location because there is no competition. There is no other resource for people to do it. 
So it's the same thing if you were looking at a McDonald's or a gas station. You you you, you know you, you've got to put it in a location where there is a need for it, right? So back to the questionnaire. Who who is your competition? So you identify all the competition, what they offer, where are they located? And then the next question is, what is your competitive advantage? So in this particular case in the yoga studio, what, what is the competitive advantage of me opening up a yoga studio in South Reno? Well, the very first competitive advantage is I'm going to be at a location that's very convenient to this whole section of Reno that doesn't have any access to a yoga studio. So my competitive, my number one competitive advantage is accessibility and location. But what else? You can't count on location um, being your competitive advantage into the future because what can prevent another person or another business from opening up a yoga studio across the street? You cannot prevent that ever from happening. You can prevent it happening inside of the shopping center that you are in. And that's actually a really important point because when you're negotiating your lease, one of the negotiating um, tactics is that you should make sure that you secure um, a non-compete clause so that they do not lease another facility space in their shopping center to a competitor, right? But you can never prevent another yoga studio from going across the street or down the street in another shopping center. So the competitive advantage that I have at the, at, at, when I had at the beginning of this endeavor was that there was no other yoga studios around. So it was going to be a really good competitive advantage, but I could not safeguard against that into the future for the, for the shopping centers around me. So what other competitive advantage could I create in my yoga studio? Well, we could have, we wanted to make sure there was a lot of things that we did. We wanted to make sure that we would have, uh, you know, classes that were accessible to everyone. So beginner classes, basic classes, intermediate classes, advanced classes, hot classes, not hot, hot classes, um, um, workshops so people could learn yoga. We want it to be yoga for everyone. So it was, you know, accessible. I'm going to give you an example of the opposite of that. For anybody who's familiar with yoga, you've heard of maybe Bikram yoga, which is like the hot yoga. It's a, it's a series, I believe it's like 26 seated and standing postures and it's a set series. It's the exact same 26 postures. It doesn't matter if you did Bikram yoga one time or 10,000 times, it would be the exact same 26 postures in a row. You know, you just do the exact same class and it's always heated. It was heated to like, I don't even know what the temperature was. Let's pretend it was like 102. I don't even know. It was, it's really, 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 really hot. Okay. Hot and humid. And it's a very, very, very challenging sequence. So it's super, super hot. It's super, super challenging. It's completely monotonous. You do the exact same series every single time. It's hard as hell. And it's, it's like a really strict regimented thing. Okay. 
I have a, my new yoga studio is going to have a competitive, so many competitive advantages over, over that kind of studio because a lot of people don't want heated classes and they don't want the same series every time. And they don't, um, want it to be super challenging every time. Um, and they don't want it to be strict and regimented. Right. So that's an example of why my yoga studio was going to have a competitive advantage. We were going to have all these different class options, le- uh, experience levels. We were going to have many, we we're going to have, uh, three rooms. So we were going to have times that, um, would be accessible for everyone. So we'd have classes for people before work early, early in the morning. We'd have middle of the day, lunchtime for people who would come on to come at lunch. We'd have after work, we'd have weekends, nights. So we were really, again, focusing on, on accessibility. Um, what other competitive advantage you could have amazing, um, an amazing facility, you know, a beautiful facility where people would want to be in. It was clean. It was happy. It was bright. It was, you know, the point is, is when you're thinking about what you're, if, if, if you're in an existing service category, yoga studios, and there are other yoga studios in the city, what is it going to be that's going to make people come to you over the other yoga studio? What is your competitive advantage? And this list, this is a very, very important list. It should be long. You should be able to just like paragraph after paragraph after paragraph after why you have a competitive advantage. So this is very, very important. This will be part of your business plan. Uh, The next question is, how often, and, and this is in the questionnaire, excuse me, how often would your customer purchase your service? Daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly, annually, rarely, or never. So let's give, so, so in this particular example of yoga studio, how often would people purchase this service? Well, there's a couple different ways you can purchase services at a yoga studio. You can buy a drop-in pass. So if I wanted to come and check out the yoga studio, maybe I'd just come in and say, hey, I just want to take a yoga class and check it out. Okay. Somebody would pay by the class, pay $20, $25 for that class. Somebody could, for example, buy, say, oh, you know, I like it. I I like coming to your yoga studio. So I'm going to try, I'm going to get a little price break if I um, buy 10, a 10 class pass. So instead of paying $25 per class as a drop-in, maybe I pay $18 per class for a 10 class pass. So I, it's $180 for 10. I save some money. I can use them whenever I want. And maybe a person who buys a 10 class pass, maybe they do 10 classes a month. So they, they would buy that once a month, right? Once a month, once every six weeks, they would buy a 10 class pass. So the question on the table is how often is somebody going to buy your, your service? So in this particular case, maybe they buy it once a month, once every six weeks. The other way they can, they can, um, purchase your service in a yoga studio is a membership, which is also the next question on the risk questionnaire, which is, is there a membership component of selling your service? And if you know me and if you've heard me talk and you've listened to the other episodes on the business, you know, one of my main focuses, anytime I look at a business model is whether there is a membership component. 
And, and, you know, in this particular case in a yoga studio, yes, you can become an unlimited yoga member or a member of the yoga studio for, I believe it's $129 a month. And you can come, you know, unlimited amount of yoga. You could take two classes a day. So if you came once a day, that'd be like 30 classes a month. You could, you know, come as often as you want, take all the different types of classes and it's only $129. So when you think about the price per class, if the class, if on a, on a single class pass is $25 and you can buy 10 for 180 or 18 bucks, but you can get unlimited for 129, you can see that that's a very compelling, compelling, um, option for customers who like yoga because they can do unlimited yoga. It doesn't matter if they're going to do you know, as, as long as they do like eight classes they're or, or 10 classes, they're, they're winning. Right. So, you know, I can't say it enough how important a membership component is for, for any business. But in this particular case, um, for example, in the yoga studio, when you have those members who are committed to the program and they're agreeing to give you $129 a month, that is money that you can count on. Now, it's still your job as the business to retain that customer. Customer retention is the most important aspect of any business's customer retention because it's so, so, so expensive to acquire new customers. It doesn't matter what business you're in. It's very expensive to acquire new customers. So once you have a customer, once somebody walks through that door, the retention is, is the most important thing. So if somebody likes you enough and has had a good enough experience and you have a membership model to offer them and they, they sign up for the membership, your job is just to make, keep them happy, keep them happy, good experience. So they continue to give you that money every single month until they cancel. So any type of business that can have a membership model, you want to build that into it because it's, it lowers your risk and it helps your um, kind of guaranteed or your, you can really help project your monthly income or your annual income. The next thing is, can you purchase your service online? So we want to make it very easy for people to give you money. We never want to have any, bar when somebody's ready to give you money, you never want to have any barriers for them to give you your money. So you, you want to do it all. You not only do you want them to be able to purchase your service online. So somebody should, in this case, in the yoga studio, they should be able to go online to our website, review the member, review all the packages. Oh, do I want to buy a one class pass? Do I want to buy a 10 class pass? Do I want to buy a, a membership? They should be able to do that with ease online. So it's critical, um, that you number one, have an ability for people to purchase your service online, but that it's very, very easy. You know, there's many times we can get, we can get excited about something online like clothing or shoes or jewelry or whatever we're following on Instagram. Right. And you want to go to make that purchase. And then you kind of get stuck in the checkout process because somebody's website is just not smooth. I mean, think about how many people just abandon shopping carts. So we never want that to happen. So we want to make sure we have an online purchase component and that those purchases are made with ease. 
Uh, the next section of the risk questionnaire is about the brand. Is the company's brand already established or does the company require new branding? So in this example of YogaPod Reno, YogaPod is actually a franchise um, and which basically means their branding is already done. So we went to, when we went to start looking at opening up a yoga studio, I was really adamant that I wanted to work with an established company, an established brand. So I could have gone two routes, right? I could have opened Joanna's mom and pop yoga studio, or I could have, or, or I could open up with an established brand like Bikram yoga, Sumit yoga, core power yoga, um, yoga pod, you know, there's, there's, there's several, several brands, um, of yoga in the United States and many of them you can license or you can franchise. And that's a whole nother discussion about the differences between licensing and franchising. We'll get into that a little bit, but with the research that we did, we just, we, we settled on, um, an established brand called yoga pod, and it is a franchise based in Boulder, Colorado. And we, we just loved, and when I say we, it was me and my partners. So I, I was doing this with three other, uh, people, partners, and we just loved the yoga pod brand. They had done a great job in creating the name, the logo, the colors, the mission, the, the, the programming. I mean, with the franchise came with the class types and the actual programming of the individual classes. They programmed that they would have basic classes, beginner classes, intermediate, advanced classes, and what the individual components of and the structure of those classes would be. This is brilliant because many, many consumers love consistency. All I have to say is Starbucks. Do we not love that no matter, no matter how you feel about Starbucks or McDonald's, do we not love that you can count on the fact that no matter where you go in the United States, if you go into a Starbucks, you are going to get your mocha latte the way it comes. You're going to get the cappuccino the way it comes. It's going to taste the same no matter what time of day you're buying it, no matter what city you're in, no matter what airport you're in. That coffee drink that you are obsessed with is going to taste the same. It's going to be the right same temperature. People love consistency. That's, that's why these brands explode. And that's what came with the Yoga Pod franchise and the, and the branding and the programming. It, it all came. And we really wanted to offer that. Why would I try to reinvent the wheel? Why in the world would I try to reinvent the wheel when somebody else has already invented the wheel? I, I'm going to just take this amazing concept, this existing branding, and bring it to my city. Okay, find the right people, the right location, and use, use the existing business model. So again, the question on the risk questionnaire is, is the company's brand established or are you requiring new branding? So the opposite would have been is, okay, I'm going to open up Joanna's yoga studio. Okay. Short term, what would that have saved me? That would have saved me the paying for the franchise fee. You have to pay a franchise fee 
to buy into a franchise. And then you have to pay monthly royalties to the franchise for the rest of your business life. So it's very, very expensive to buy an existing brand. So you have to weigh, you have to weigh the pros and the cons of, of, you know, whether or not you want to do an existing brand or, or start your own. As you know, in my epic business failure of Bodhi Body, I created a whole new brand, a whole new brand. I invested, it was like over 80 grand into a branding program to, 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 to churn out a beautiful brand. And it was a beautiful brand, but it was still a brand new brand. I had to do it all myself. And, you know, ultimately it didn't work. That was just one of the reasons. It wasn't the end all reason, but let's back to Yoga Pod. We decided to go with Yoga Pod. We love their brand. We love their programming and we bought into the franchise and that's what we did. So there's lower risk if you use an existing brand is my point. This is the question. This is the point of the question in the questionnaire. Lower risk if you, if you use an existing brand. Okay. Next. Target market. Describe your customer in detail. And so this would be for the business plan. Who is your target market? Who is your customer? And, and then the follow-up to that is what percent of, of the general consumer population want or need or can afford your service? Okay, so let's talk about this. Because again, this is a big, huge part of your business plan. Who is your customer? You want to describe your customer. And, um, in the case of the yoga studio, we knew who our customer was. We knew who our target market was. Our target was, um, men and women probably with the age range of 30 to 60 or 30 to 65 in South Reno who have either no yoga experience or low or maybe some moderate yoga experience but are interested in learning more about yoga, taking a yoga class, getting involved in yoga. Also, we knew our consumer in that South Reno um, were conservative. It was probably a large group, a large percentage of, you know, like conservative Christian. So as we're choosing the brand and, and, you know, what kind of, um, you know, sensibility of our brand, of our yoga studio, we, we, we absolutely could not really do something like a Bikram yoga, which was steeped, you know, very steeped in, um, traditional, you know, kind of Indian, um, and Sanskrit words, you know, um, and, you know, very rigid and regimented and no, no, no. We wanted yoga for everyone. We wanted to not, make it so that, you know, uh, an older person or an inexperienced person who's never been with yoga or a religious person, we didn't want any of them to be turned off by our yoga studio. We wanted to be yoga for everyone. Come one, come all. This is not a religious experience. This is not necessarily a spiritual experience. This is moving meditation um, and you're going to be able to get anything you want out of it. And we, we just want it to be a welcoming, 
um, environment. So, cause we really knew who we knew that that market in the South of Reno, again, was more of a conservative, a little bit older, a little bit, you know, not necessarily a big yoga community. So accessibility, accessibility was really what we wanted. So, um, and then, and then the follow-up question to that was what percent of consumers want, need, or can afford our product or service. So, um, you know, how many people want or need yoga? I mean, we felt like everyone needs it, but how many people want it? You know, it's one of those things that it's not a requirement, right? It's not like groceries or toilet paper or gas where it's a necessity. This is more of a self-care. It's more of exercise. It's more of meditation. It's, it's an extra added budget item that people would have to believe that they need in their life in order to take, you know, a hundred dollars a month, $129 a month, um, to invest in themselves. So we said, okay, you know, how, you know, what percent, you know, I don't remember what the exact number was, but we had to say to ourselves, what percent of this population in this area of town, what percent of those people um, need or want this yoga service. And here's the reality. You can reverse that in your business plan or when, in your, when you're putting together your financial projections and say, how many people do I need to become members or how many people do I need to give me, you know, a hundred dollars a month for yoga in order to make my business work? What is the number? So just for ease, let's just pretend that number is 500. You know, if I could get 500 people giving me $100 a month, that's $50,000 a month. I'm not saying that's the number, but what if that's the number? 500 people. And I look at the total population of this South Reno area and how many thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people who live in this part of town could I get 500 of them, you know, over the course of one or two years as I'm building my business, would I be able to secure 500 people? If that's the number, maybe the number is 750 people. Maybe the number is a thousand people. I guarantee you it's not more than a thousand. So let's just say it's 500 or 600 or 700 people. Do I think that I could find five, 600 people out of this larger community over the course of the next one to two years in order to make my business work, right? I mean, let me just tell you, the answer is yes. The answer is yes in this particular case scenario. So you don't need everyone to need or want your product or service, but you, you, you do need to back into your business model and say, how many people do I need to give me a hundred dollars a month in order to get the n amount of revenue that I'm going to need to pay my bill, you know, to, to cover my overhead and then to give me some profit. What is the number of people? And do I think I can get that from my community? Okay. The next, um, oh, the next question is about does your, does your service address any of these trends in the marketplace? So hopefully if you're looking to start a business, you're looking at consumer trends, you're finding out what people are interested in, what people are, are interested in participating in the marketplace. So I'm going to give you some examples. I did, a, I, I had this done 
in the last few years. And then I just kind of, I went online this morning and just updated it with some updated consumer trends. Um, is, you know, does your business, uh, does your business, your service business have to do with health and well-being? That's a trend that's never going away. Um, this is a new one, which is really cool. Does your business have anything to do with secondhand goods or what they're calling re-commerce, right? So consignment stores, a lot of people are reselling clothing and furniture and jewelry and watches and handbags. This is a big trend. Another um, trend in the marketplace is responsible consumerism and sustainability, self-care, plant-based food, functional foods, smart home automation, inclusive luxury, artificial intelligence. How about authenticity, transparency, human connection, affordability, life balance, integration, self-health monitoring for children, our pets, our dogs, our kitties, inclusiveness, digital wallets, cryptocurrency, blockchain. So there's more, but these are examples of trends in the marketplace. So is your business that you're considering um, starting, is it hitting on any of these trends? Could it possibly be hitting on multiple of these things, right? Like how about two, three, four trends? It could be hitting all of this. So let's take our yoga pot example, health and well-being. Uh, self-care. I mean, authenticity, transparency, human connection. It's all about community at YogaPod. Okay, we're hitting three trends. Life balance, integration. Inclusiveness. Again, we have a great... So we we kind of hitting on five trends, right? So very, very good. All of that's helpful. Okay, the next section on the um, business risk questionnaire assessment tool is let's talk about financial and time investment. So no matter what business you are going to start or you're going to own, it's all all of them are going to require a financial and time investment. So what is the initial financial investment for your business? Is it you know zero to a thousand dollars to invest in your business? A thousand to ten thousand, ten thousand to a hundred thousand, a hundred thousand to five hundred thousand, or five hundred thousand or more. In this example, the yoga studio, it cost us, I believe it was seven hundred thousand dollars to start this business. And the reason I know that is because basically what we did is we 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 loaned the money into so we set up an LLC for the business so that all the owners owned in the LLC. And then I loaned the business $700,000 and then the business expenses were paid out of the loan. And then as the business became profitable, they started paying back the loan. That's how we structured it. And so I know it cost us about $700,000. And you're going to say, oh my gosh, where did that, where does that money go? Well, the money goes for you know, the down payment on the lease, it goes to buy the equipment, it goes to pay for some of the, the building improvements that we did. Um, you know, the, the flooring, the putting in the bathrooms, the HVAC and the air conditioning systems, the humidifiers, the, the, um, yoga mats, the equipment, and then it goes into your working capital. 
it's not just what you have to buy when you're opening up the business. It's, you know, your first six months, year, two years in business where you're not profiting, you need to build in a cushion, a cash flow cushion to, to cover the difference between your expenses and your income, right? So maybe your income is 30,000 a month, but your expenses is $40,000 a month. So you have to have the cash flow. You have to have the, the, the balance of cash of an extra $10,000 a month until your profit is higher than your, I mean, until your income is higher than your expenses. Working capital, it's called working capital. So you have your investment. So we had that $700,000. We had to buy the franchise. We had to, again, the deposit on the, on the lease, the equipment, the supplies, the, the tenant improvements, working capital. Okay. It's an expensive endeavor, $700,000. And as I mentioned in the last episode, the second episode in the series of the business, you're going to have to, every business costs money and you're going to have to get it from somewhere, right? You're going to either have to use your own money or use somebody else's money, whether it's a loan from a bank, a SBA loan, a loan from a friend, a, f- a call, you know, a friend, family, or an investor, or right, or your own money. You're gonna have to find this money. So, the more you have to invest, the higher the risk, right? I think my recommendation is when people are looking to do their first business, look for something that has a very, very low investment. The lower the investment, the lower the risk. Um, and, and so again, will you have to borrow money or obtain a loan? You know, um, you know, if you, if the investment is only $10,000 and you've saved $10,000 and you know, you can, you can use that $10,000 for your business and it's, you know, you don't have to, you don't have to, um, mortgage your house or take it out of your kid's you know, college savings and you have $10,000 to basically lose, use or lose on a business, go ahead. But at least it's only $10,000, at least it's $5,000. But when you look at all, all of the, especially franchises, they're going to, it's lower risk. It's lower risk when you do a franchise because it's an existing brand, but franchises are expensive and they're not going to sell you a franchise unless you prove to them that you've got the money because they want they want their franchise locations to be successful. So they're going to review your financials. They're going to be like, where are you going to get this money? So the yoga studio was $700,000 was the investment. Then the next question is, is there going to be an ongoing investment? Is it a one-time you know, investment or are you going to have to continue to put in money? That's hard to know, isn't it? In this particular example of the yoga studio, knock on wood, even through COVID, we did not have to put any additional money in. We were able to, you know, bootstrap it. We got the PPP loan from the government. Um, you know, we, we, we were able to do it where we didn't have to put any money in, but as you know, from the second episode in the series, from my epic business failure, Bodhi body, I was writing 
that second year, I mean, the second year, you know, the, the, after the first year, the 18 months after, I was writing personal checks every month. I was writing a personal check to cover the rent, to cover payroll. I kept having to put money in. M good money over bad. Then you're just like, oh God. And every month you're putting more and more money in. And you're like, oh God, if I close the business and I lose all that money. So then you think you just got to keep putting money in. You got to put more money in because you're trying to like not lose the money that you put in. It's the same as gambling. It's the same as playing blackjack in a casino, right? You're playing, you're playing, you're playing, you're losing, you're losing, you're losing. You've lost $200. You've lost $300. You're like, shit, if I give up now, all that money is gone. So I got to keep playing a couple more hands, see if I can get my money back. You're just digging yourself a bigger hole. So the question, back to the questionnaire is, how much is my initial financial investment and will I continue, will I have to continue to put more money in? And you know, you don't know the answer to that question, right? You will never know the answer to that question of, do I have to put more money in? Because you don't know what's going to happen in the world. Is there a financial crisis? Is there a freaking worldwide COVID? What's going to happen in the world? You cannot predict. So you have no idea whether or not you're going to have to put more money in. So it's very risky. The next question is, here's to the time investment. Will you work in the business? Will you be working in this business? And then if so, how many hours per week are you going to be required to work? Is it going to be flexible part-time? Is it going to be, you know, part-time 20 to 35 hours or is it going to be 40 hours or more? So in this example of the yoga studio, I was not going to be working in the yoga studio. I was at a point in my life where I was happy to make a financial investment on a good business plan, a good business model, because I really believed that yoga needed to come to our community. I believed there was a need. I believed it was going to be very successful, but I am not a yoga teacher and I certainly did not want to manage a business. Again, I had already been so burned from the Bodhi body and managing people and managing a business. I'd never wanted to do that again. So in this particular case, will you work in the business? The answer is no. So now that's a good thing. But on the other hand, when you don't work in the business, basically that means you're going to be paying somebody else. You're going to be paying somebody else to do what you could have done, right? So I would, instead of, if I was, since I'm not going to manage the business, I'm going to have to pay a manager. So that affects your financial projection. It's going to be more expensive if you don't want to actually be there day to day. You're going to open up a pizza shop. Are you going to work there every day? You're going to open up a coffee shop. Are you going to work there every day? You're going to open up a hardware store. Are you going to show up every day? If you're not, that's fine, but you're going to have to pay somebody else to be there. So then that becomes a salary that you're going to have to be required to pay in your business plan. Here's the next question. Do you personally have training or special skills or experience in this industry? So let's go back to the yoga studio. Joanna, do you have any particular skills, experience, um, special training in, in the yoga business? Okay. At the time, I was not a teacher trained yoga instructor. I'd never been through yoga teacher training. Um, my only experience was that I had done yoga. I was a yoga student, a yoga, yoga practitioner for many, many years. So probably 10 years at this point, I had done yoga and I have experienced many, many different types of yoga in many different yoga studios 
And so I, I would say I was an expert yoga consumer. It was something I loved. I knew very well, but as a consumer, so I didn't have any particular special skills or experience in the industry. If you don't have any particular skills or experience in the industry, that increases your risk. It doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. It just means it's riskier. So how did I mitigate that risk? Well, the person, one of the people that we partnered with um, to manage and own in the studio with, with me was a certified yoga instructor, a 500-hour certified yoga instructor, which is like advanced, advanced teacher, yoga teacher training with, at the time, I believe it was over 10 years of being a yoga teacher trainer um, and just tons of experience, tons of experience. So, and uh, the other person that we partnered with um, to take on the role of business management um, also had experience managing a business. So, whatever special skills I didn't have, we made sure that we shored that up with our partners. Okay. So if you're going to bring partners, you want people to add value. When you're looking to, to create partnership in a business, everyone needs to add value. If they're not adding value, so somebody can add value by contributing money. They can contribute connections. They can contribute community involvement. They can contribute special skills, experience, and training in your industry, right? So when you partner with people, you got to bring people with, and in this case, all four of the owners, um, all were bringing something very specific in the skill set to the table so that the four of us um, really had everything that was needed to run this business. But again, if you like, I really, like, if you're like, I really, really want to open up a restaurant, Okay. Are you some amazing chef? Have you worked in restaurants for 10 years? Have you seen all the ins and outs of running a restaurant? Do you, do you, you know, know all the pitfalls, all the, all the, all the opportunities? Like if you have not worked in restaurants for 10 years, don't open a restaurant. You either need to have special skills or training or experience in the industry that you want to have a business in, or you need to have a partner that does. Okay. Next, will you need to hire employees? Well, in the yoga studio, yes, we need to hire a lot of employees. We need to hire yoga teachers. We had to have a manager, front desk people, a lot of employees. I think we have like 30 employees. We have a lot of employees. Employees increase the risk. So when I'm Whenever I'm coaching somebody, when they're when I'm looking at their business plan or their business model or their business idea, I you know it's like if this is your first business, is there a way that you can create a business that you are the only employee? It's called a sole proprietorship, where you are the business owner and you are the one doing the work. No other employees. Employees, yes, they help you get things done, and it's. Employees are critical in many, many businesses, but for, for your first business, I always encourage people don't do something that is going to require employees 
The only person you can count on in life, I'm sorry, is yourself. So anytime you layer in employees and more and more employees, you're adding to the risk. It doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. It's just riskier. So in the yoga studio, we built a team. We built an ownership team that was already bringing the yoga teacher training expertise and the business management expertise. And then we hired all the yoga teachers, the front desk people. Um, but it was, it was based on this foundation of expertise. So we do, we do have a lot of employees. Okay. The next, will you need a facility such as an office, a storefront or a warehouse? In the case of the yoga studio, of course, we needed a yoga studio. So we looked all around South Reno at all the different potential locations of where our yoga studio should be. And you re, you guys, if your business is going to require you to have a physical location, this is so important. Again, if you recall from my last episode, Greatest Big Business Failure, I signed the largest lease. I paid the most money. I spent, and then I invested the most money in their building. And then I had to walk away from it all. It was just flushed down the toilet. So by the time we got to the yoga studio, I was much wiser. And we took a lot more time really finding the best location, comparing the rates, comparing the terms, you know, making sure that the lease agreement was, was as much as it could be in our favor, meaning the tenant's favor. Not the, First of all, landlords, they're going to get everything off of you. They're going to take advantage of your na uh, na naivete, your lack of experience. They're, gonna they're not going to tell you anything. They're going to take advantage. Like the more you don't know, the more they're going to take advantage of that. So you've got to work. I would recommend working with a real estate attorney to carve out everything you could possibly need or want in that lease, such as a non-compete. If you're opening up a coffee shop in a shopping center, don't let the landlord rent another space to a coffee shop. You can write that into the lease. You can write it in that they're going to you know, give you 50,000 or 75,000 or $500,000 to, to upgrade your space. You can, um, you know, write in that you get a five year extension on your lease after five years that, that they'll only increase the rent by five or 10%. I mean, I don't know. You can, you can do so many different things, but you want to choose the right location. You want to make sure you have parking. You want to make sure that um, it's easy access. You want to make sure that the landlord is a good landlord, that they're going to be responsible when the roof caves in or if the roof caves in, you know, negotiate trash, negotiate water, electricity. Um, but so in this case of the other studio, we did go to a bunch of different places and we finally settled on this, um, space. It was right next to Starbucks. I always think location, you know, if you can get a location next to some other business, that's really, really, really busy, right? You can either pay for a prime location, which means you're going to have to pay less in marketing and advertising later, or you can find a, pick a location in a warehouse district where nobody's ever going to see you. And you're going to have to spend a lot of money on advertising every month. So people know where the hell you are. 
in this case, we picked a space right next to Starbucks. We are next to Starbucks. And we're across the parking lot from a Lululemon. And we negotiated a really good lease rate. And since we knew it was so good, we knew it was cheap. So we signed a 10-year lease. We did. That's the risk, right? You, You can cement your lease rate. Shit, it's really, really low. So we're going to cement it for 10 years. But then you're risking if the business doesn't work out, then I've, I've signed an agreement that I owe them this money for 10 years. So this is where the risk comes into play. Now, I, I always recommend people, if you can start your first or your second or your third business without renting a location, without a warehouse or a storefront or an office space, if you can do it from home, uh, if there's any way where you don't have to sign a lease Try not to. That just add, adds risk. It's basically like taking out a, a credit card, you know, for $100,000. When you sign a lease, if I, let's just, let's just do the math here. Let's say your lease payment is $5,000 a month and you sign for 10 years. So that's $60,000. No. Yeah. $60,000 a year for 10 years. That is $600,000. You're literally signing an agreement that you owe them $600,000. And it doesn't matter what happens to your business. You've agreed. You bought that. You bought that space for 10 years. So you better be sure that, that your business is going to be successful or else you're going to be writing a check. You're going to be writing a personal check to cover that rent and or you're going to close your business. You're going to walk away and that landlord is going to sue you. So it's not fun. So I think I've got through all of the, all of the risk factors. I feel like I'm, you know, whenever I talk to some people, it seems like when they're telling me their business ideas, it seems like I am trying, always trying to talk people out of starting a business. But I'm really not trying to talk people out of starting a business. I just think people, a lot of people romanticize the idea of having their own business, right? You think, oh, I'm going to be able to plan my day. I'm going to be able to go, you know, like I'm going to design my life and I won't have to have a boss. I won't have to answer to anybody. I can decide what to do. I can do it better. You know, I can, I can do something better than what's being done. These restaurants suck. I'm going to open up an amazing restaurant. And, and you, and you think, oh, you know, I'm going to have this lifestyle, you know, but the reality is when you start a business, you're kind of buying yourself a job. As I mentioned in the last episode, as a business owner, everybody in the business is going to get paid before the business owner. In fact, you're going to pay. Not only are you not going to get paid, not only are you going to get paid last, but before you ever even get paid and everybody else gets paid, you're going to put money in, right? So the very, very first thing when you open up a business is you're going to invest money. Again, it's either your money out of your bank account 
or you're going to take a loan and you're going to sign for it. So that's still your money because you owe it to the bank or you're going to find an investor and they can put their money in, which is fine. But as a business owner, you're putting in first. Then once you open, everyone gets paid before you. You, this concept needs to be really clear in all of the minds of potential entrepreneurs. The landlord gets paid, the electric company gets paid, the employees get paid, the supply vendors get paid, the marketing and advertising people get paid. Every, the credit card processor feed get paid, the people that design your web website get paid everyone's going to get paid. And if you're lucky, you'll have the income to cover all of those payments. You're lucky if you just break even, honestly. If there's a dollar left over, you could pay yourself. So it's just really important you understand that you're buying yourself a job. You're buying yourself a job that you may or may not get paid. Most businesses fail in the first one to two years. The other thing I would just say to people as you're looking to start a business, I, you know, when you think about the things that you want and you're idealizing what it's going to be like to be an entrepreneur, look at your life and say, what would I, what would I be doing and how would my day, what would I be doing with my day and how would I be feeling if I was happy and what would my, like my ideal life look like? What would I be able to do? Like when I think about my ideal life, it's, I have, I can sleep in as long as I, like, I don't have to set an alarm. How about that? That that's it. I don't have to set an alarm. I can spend time outside each day if I want to. I, I can have enough money and time that I can go on vacation a few times a year. Um, you know, I'm not tied to a, a, a specific city or a schedule. Um, I'm not stressed. I, I, I feel at ease in my life and I have the time to, to focus on things, things and people and experiences that make me feel good. I don't have a boss. You know, I'd like to not have a boss. I'd like to design my life. I'd like to determine how, how often and how, how long and how many hours per week I work. Like these are some of the things. Write down what it is that's important to you. How do you want to spend your day? And you might say, look, I want all of those things, you know, the, the, to not have to set an alarm, to be able to travel, to be able to design my day, but I'm willing to, to not have that for five years. I'm willing to work, you know, 80 hours a week, never take a vacation, spend my savings, not see my kids, you know, not, not, not see your kids, but like, you know, you're not gonna be able to go to the games and the practices and the traveling and the and that you're not gonna be able to do any of that. Um, you know, you're going to be super stressed, you know, so how is that going to affect your relationships with your partner, with your, with your children, with your spouse? How is that stress and that lifestyle going to affect your health? 
And then you say, you know, are you willing to do it? Are you willing to spend the time and the energy and, and, you know, dig in for, for two, three, four, five, six, seven years to hopefully see something on the other side. And if, and if, and if it is, then I recommend you go through the list of the, the risk assessment list and find a business that has a really, really low risk, has a really, really low risk and, and practice, start a business and do something and make a little money. And, 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 and maybe if you fail, then you've only risked something small. You haven't mortgaged your house. You haven't spent five years away from your, your young children. You haven't put yourself into metabolic syndrome, pre-diabetes or, or heart disease because of not being able to focus on your, on your health. And spend, spend some time writing a good business plan and doing something that's low risk and fortifying your team with people that bring skills and expertise and experience in your, in your, in your chosen field. And it's, you know, owning your own business is just not for the faint of heart. You know, they say, um, without great risk, you know, you can't have a great reward. You know, it's, it's a very risky business. Um, and there's, so I, 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 I'm impressed by anybody that takes something on. I will tell you of all the different businesses that I've started, mo the majority of them have failed. Maybe 25% are, are succeed, have succeeded, one of which is the yoga studio. Thank goodness. Great team, great location, great service. Um, you know, just, it was a wise investment. So you can, you can hit some out of the park, but you're going to, you're going to have a lot of strikeouts. Not, not, I, I can't guarantee that you're going to have a lot of strikeouts. There's ways to mitigate your risk, but just be prepared. Um, and maybe, maybe hire a business coach, not me, <laughs> someone. I hope this is helpful. Um, you know, at this point in my life, I just really am all about how we can maximize our experience of our daily life. And although I did spend, you know, probably 10 years grinding it out in entrepreneurship and, and, and doing all these things, I now have a great reward. I do have a great life and I, and I, I'm able to choose what I do with my time and, but sometimes it's about how can we enjoy this journey and not put so much attention on the end result because ultimately there is, there is no end in life until you die. We're on a continuum. It's a journey that just keeps going. Any little achievement is going to just set yourself up for the next milestone and the next goal. It's a series of goals, a series of achievements. So if we can take a step back and say, 
is there a way that I can feel this freedom and this enjoyment of life in the doing of it, in the journey of it, and not wait to, and not feel like I'm not going to be able to enjoy or relax or arrive until X, Y, Z happens? Can you experience it now? With that, I'm going to let you go. If you found this helpful, if you know any budding entrepreneurs that need to have some context about um, business, the risks involved, some of the highs and the lows, please introduce the series to them. You can forward this podcast to them either on Spotify or on YouTube or Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. I would appreciate the sharing of the information. If you found this information helpful, you can like it or rate me on the different platforms. I would also appreciate that. If you have questions, you can email me. Um, You can private message me on the Instagram or message on YouTube. Um, You can also email me um, at A-G-D-T-D, A Good Day to Die, A-G-D-T-D podcast at gmail.com. Um, and with that, I hope you found this helpful and that you try and make every day a good day to die. 